Amen. Hey, as you turn there on page 78, as we do the exciting uh, quick recap to the study entitled, Tom, Intro to Vault Dad. Give it up for Tom. Woo! Put him on the spot. He made it through. That's right. As you turn there, we already saw we're dealing with these skeptical questions. Uh, apologetics give a defense of what? Well, first of all, the existence of God. We already saw everything's got a beginning. That implies a beginner, i.e. God. Number two, everything's got a design. That implies a designer, i.e. rhymes with God. God, you guys are sharp tonight. Don't have enough gum. Then we talk about, well, hey, we, the world says, no, there is no God. We all just a cosmic slime, an accidental burp, etc. blah, blah, blah. No, we took a look at evolution. And boy, is that ever a lie. Then we went back to the existence of God. Where did all this universal moral law come? Unless, of course, it came from a universal moral lawgiver that were created in his image, not just spiritually, but morally. And that's another argument for the existence of God. Then we saw, of course, our society attacks the Bible. Either wants to relegate the Bible as, that's just like some other religious book that we see on the planet. Uh, or they want to say, well, you can't trust this book because it's just whooped up by man. It's not really the word of God. Well, yes, it is. And we saw that in great detail on that aspect. Then they say, oh, yeah, well, if God's so real, and that's really God's word, then why in the world is there so much evil and suffering? You guys, that's a real popular one. So we dealt with that for several weeks. And then last time we started on this one, then they start to attack Jesus, don't they? Okay, typically they attack Jesus, just want to relegate him to what? He was a pretty good moral teacher. Like Muhammad, Buddha, the confused one, or Confucius, whatever you want to call him. Uh, no, he's uh, the son of God. Now we saw the reason why that's important uh, is because Jesus needs to be not only the son of man, he needs to be the son of God. Why? Because he's fully God and fully man. Why is that important? Why is this doctrine, why is this terminology important? We saw last time because Jesus had to be the son of man. He had to be fully man because only man could die, right? God can't die. Okay, but he has to be fully God because somebody needs to be outside the realm of man to have the sinless nature, okay, to be a sinless sacrifice for man, okay? So both of them are important, but we're taking a look at this issue, son of God, and we're not just taking it for, uh, okay, this is what the Bible says. We're going to take a look at it logically, philosophically, uh, and with our minds to come let us reason together. And we saw there on page seven, eight, all right, let's put it to the test then. Not just biblically, but if God became a human, i.e. Jesus, the Son of God, we would expect that person to be without sin, okay? And we saw that that's, you know, the basic core character of God. He's not just holy, he's holy, 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 that's right. You guys are catching on, okay? He's without sin. So if Jesus is going to be the Son of God who is without sin, then Jesus has got to be without sin. Well, what's the evidence say? Well, his friends certainly said he was. Okay, and in fact, we saw even his enemies said he was, and even uh, uh, outside extra biblical sources mentioned early on that he was, okay, and things of that nature. Okay, then we saw, well, wait a second, number two, if God became a human, Jesus, the son of God, then he would have to be supernatural, right? Because God's, how many guys recognize that God's a little powerful, and that if anybody has the ability to make something out of nothing, how many guys would love to have that ability, huh? Especially when you're hungry, like especially with John, when he's out there, he's ready to rock out. Yeah, your idea of rocking is different, buddy. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> so he's all ready to rock out. Wouldn't it be awesome if John had that ability, Ruth, to just say, rocks, move, in the backyard? Wouldn't it be awesome? Right? Yeah, I guess he did. That's right. All right, get your gum later. It's up here at the top. I'm not going to throw it and hit the people in the head. But uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, apparently that did work. But seriously, I mean, God, that's what God did. That's what God did to the whole, not just a pile of rocks, he did to the whole earth. And we saw there in Ephesians when he created the earth and laid its foundations, the Greek is like, mm, yeah, it's no big deal, right? Okay, like John on his cell phone, no big deal. This cup has to be in the interns. Okay, I digress. Move on. 
Most of you have no clue what I'm talking about. Well, look at Facebook and the pictures. That's right. And Jordan's slow-mo video with Bobby's amazing foot and shovel. But anyway, let's move on. Okay, so he's supernatural, right? God's supernatural. Obviously created the... And, oh, by the way, a whole universe. How many guys realize the universe is kind of large? Oh, and God made it. You know, actually, he bought the universe at Walmart. They sell everything, lower prices every day. Out of nothing. Spoke. Wow, that's pretty powerful. So if Jesus is going to be the Son of God, then he's got to be powerful, right? And that's why we saw the evidence of all the miracles, okay, that Jesus did. Only God could do that. And he didn't do just one. He did tons of them repeatedly over and over again, okay? Number three, we left off. If God became a human, Jesus is the Son of God, then we would expect this person to have a great influence on history, right? Uh, nobody has had an influence on the history of mankind, in the history of mankind, than Jesus, period, right? In fact, how many of you today in history, how many guys are in history right now? Raise your hand. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you concern me. Okay, but yeah, we're all in history and timeline, and <laughs> okay, in case you're wondering. Okay, uh, how many of you guys are still influenced by Jesus? Right? He is the one who is influenced unlike anybody else in the history of mankind. Now we're going to get to the part two. We're getting onto page 85. That's right. Number four, is Jesus really the Son of God? What's the evidence? Well, let's take a look. If God became a human, we would expect that this person's words would be the greatest ever spoken. Now, why do you think that's an important point? Right? Because he's rhymes with God. God. Okay, how many guys would say talking to God is pretty cool? Do you realize that that's what we do every single day when we do this Christianese thing called pray? You know what we're doing. We're talking to God. Have you read the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews, what he says? Through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross, we have won the freedom. He has given us the freedom to, with boldness, with confidence, to approach the very throne of grace, of God. This isn't the president we're talking to. This isn't some politician, not that that would necessarily be exciting, I guess, but uh, unfortunately today, with all due respect, but I mean, this is God, right? This isn't some superstar. This isn't some movie star. This is God, the creator of the universe, the one who did that with the earth, right? Who spoke in the whole, what? this is God, right? And that's what he says here, okay? It should be the greatest words ever spoken. So when God speaks, okay, People listen, saved or unsaved, man. In fact, the scripture is very clear when it talks about God's voice, if you will. When God speaks, boom, things shut. When God appeared on Mount Sinai, you guys remember that there? And what happened? The mountains, the earth shook. In fact, the people, God started to speak to them. But what did the people say to Moses? Oh, Moses, whoa, tell God. You speak to God. You translate it to us. We're, we're going to, they literally said, we're going to die. Speaking to God's awesome. It's amazing. Scripture also says that when guys sounds like the voice of thunder. How many guys are out there, not moving rocks, doing something else? And you just happen to be near an area where lightning struck. And it seriously got your attention. Right? In fact, the closer you get to it, the more it really demands your attention. And if you get close enough, it'll demand your attention for quite some time while you're in the hospital. Right? The voice of God is like that. The voice of God, the scripture says, is like rushing waters. I'll never forget that when I was teaching uh, through the book of Revelation back in New York. And uh, we got to that point there. Never got to finish the book, maybe someday. Uh, but uh, uh, when it talked about how the voice of God, like rushing waters, okay, great visual if you're there in western New York, Niagara Falls. And it brought instantly back my mind with, uh, we, of course, family would come out and we'd have to do the touristy thing, go see Niagara Falls, right? And you go down at the very bottom there and there's this little portico thing that you're out there and they can give you things that you 
put on to keep from getting wet or you take the boat thing. We never did the boat thing. But we're down there at the bottom and you thought it was intense, wild, loud, commanding at the top. When you're at the bottom, it's just... And you can't even hear the person. But it's just such an awesome, overwhelming presence. It's just, it just commands you. Oh! That's the voice of God. So if Jesus is going to be the Son of God, then His words command our attention. Well, let's put it to the test. What's the Bible say about Jesus' words? Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed. Pay attention to that word. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had what? Authority. Now, the, the word there for amazed is a kind of a cool Greek word. Uh, it's called ekpleso. Let's say that. Ekpleso. Ek's where we get exit out of, you know, pleso. And it literally means this. Put that with uh, pleso there. It literally means to blow or drive out to uh, astonishment, amazement, or shock. Right? These people weren't just amazed. They weren't just astonished. They were literally blown out into that direction. They were driven into that direction. A good modern vernacular would be they were literally forced to be blown out of their minds. When Jesus spoke, it was like, whoa! Now, part of it was because this is from God. This is God in the flesh on the spot. He's talking, right? Way better than E.F. Hutton, for those of you who remember that commercial. But it says he taught with authority, right? Now, if you understand the culture, there's a cultural thing going on there. In the culture of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees, they would basically get up there and do their little teaching thing, but it was rules and religions and things taught by man. And if they, they didn't have authority in themselves. They were always quoting somebody else, Right? For instance, if I got up here, as cool as it was, and every time I taught, Sundays, whenever, okay, all I did was quote commentaries. Well, it beats a sharp stick in the eyes, they're saying Kansas, right? But it's like, okay, come on, Pastor Bill, we didn't, you know, <laughs> okay, that's good. That, you know, it's just, what? But there's something about quoting the actual scripture. There's something about let the scripture speak for itself. Why? Because it carries authority. Why? Because it came from God. And this is what Jesus didn't show up on the scene with the deal. He didn't say, well, as in so-and-so Jewish historian said way back in the year, blah, blah, blah. He just popped on the scene and blew people out of their minds. Why? Because he's God. And when God speaks, it commands your attention, right? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, whom shall we go to? You have the words of what? Of self-help seminar. You are a fan of Tony Robbins. You motivate me to be a better me. No. What? Eternal life. Eternal life, eternal, 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 eternal. That, oh, that's where God dwells, right? And it was obvious. This is something different, man. You don't teach like, nobody teaches like you. Nobody speaks like you because he's the son of God. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked him, why did you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does. The who declared? The guards. Were the guards his best buddies? So not just his friends, but now even the guard. Whoa, something's radically different with this guy, with his words. One writer said this about the words of Jesus. The Gospels are the greatest literature ever written. They're read by more people, quoted by more authors, translated into more languages, represented by more art, set to more music than any other book or books written by any man in century in any land. Why? Because they are the greatest words ever spoken. Why? Because this is coming from God. This is God in the flesh walking on the planet. What else do you expect? Right? The words of Jesus clearly deal with the authoritative and the greatest questions and the biggest problems in the human heart. Jesus answers questions like this. What's the weather going to be like tomorrow? No, a little bit more important than that, right? And more important in life, ultimately. I mean, deep-seated questions, right? Deals with them all. Who is God? Does he love me? How many guys are glad that it isn't just that God exists? 
is that you really can have a relationship with him, a loving relationship, an eternal relationship, a relationship that's absolutely safe and secure 100% no matter what we do through the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Jesus answers this. It's not just who is God, but does he love me? Does he care for me? Uh, What should I do to please him? Why? Because I'm trying to earn my way to heaven. No, you can't earn your way to heaven. Love is what compels us. Paul says Christ's love compels us. Why do we do what we do as Christians? Because we're so stinking thankful for what God has done. What can I do? What can I do for you after all you've done for me? How can I please him? Okay, and he lets us know how we can please him. Uh, How does he look at my sin? How can I be forgiven? Where will I go when I die? How must I treat other people? And we all know that if you want to find the answers to this, skip the whole Bible and Jesus' words. Just go straight to Reader's Digest. Or Ann Landers. Man, she's awesome. As cool as those magazines might be, nothing compared to Jesus. Because he's the son of God. And when God speaks, it commands your attention. It's awesome. No other man can answer these fundamental human questions as Jesus answers them. They're the kind of words and the kind of answers we would expect God, is your blank there, we would expect God to give. Historian Philip Schaff says this, This Jesus of Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Muhammad, and Napoleon. Without science and learning, he shed more light on things human and divine than all philosophers and scholars combined. Without the eloquence of schools, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since and produced the effects which lie beyond the reach of orator or poet without writing a single line. He set more pens in motion and furnished the themes for more sermons, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, songs of praise than the whole army of great men and ancient and modern times. Because we all know the very first time we came across that proverb from Confucius, man, we, we, were, we were cutting albums right and left. We got a whole movement now in you know industry now with uh, Confucius, rock. <laughs> no, you don't have nothing, right? But Jesus, he not only commands with poets and artists and literature, but music for centuries. Some of the greatest composers with Bach and Beethoven. Oh, it's Jesus who's inspiring. Some of the greatest uh, 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 painters of Michelangelo and Da Vinci. It's all inspired by Jesus. You don't get that from anybody else. Okay, is what he's talking about. Okay, now, the next one, number five, we'd see that if God became a human, we would expect this person to fulfill prophecy. Once again, the importance of Bible prophecy. It's almost like the Bible contains one-third of prophecy, Old Testament, New Testament, first coming, second coming, Jesus Christ. It's kind of an important thing to hit on once in a while. What do you guys think? If you want to be a well-rounded Christian, that is. Okay, to fulfill prophecy, okay? Why? Why is that important? Well, because, once again, God is eternal, Right? We have in the scripture, the beginning of time, Genesis. You have the end of time, Revelation, the new heavens, the new earth, and the eternal state. Okay? And the centerpiece is the cross of Jesus Christ. Right? We know that time itself, even scientifically, is a created thing. That's what Genesis 1.1 says. In the beginning time, God created the heaven, space, and the earth, matter. Time, space, matter. Right there. In the, it's, but it all had a starting point. And science is finally catching up to what God recorded long ago. So, but there's also going to be an end of time. Right? But the scripture is very clear. God is eternal, right? Unto the ages, unto the ages. Uh, Ionion in the Greek there. And so, if you will, God is above and beyond that. Jesus is the Alpha, he says. He's also the Omega. And this is where God the Father dwells. Paul was caught up into the third heaven that he saw some things first, heard some things that, ooh, I can't even tell you guys. It's so awesome. You know, the scripture says, this is going to be so awesome with God. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. The incredible things that God has prepared for those who love him. Do you love him? You are headed for the most fantastic 
eternal life that never ends forever. Isn't that exciting? Right? So Paul says, keep your mind on things above, not this earth. Man, this earth will drag you down. Don't forget your destiny. But God is forever. No beginning, no end, right? The beginning, the end, the Alpha, the Omega. Well, that means he could see the realm of time just like he's flipping through the pages of the book. In fact, he could see the beginning and the end and everything else in between all at the same time. Now, that'll blow your mind, right? Okay, now, so therefore, you would expect that God would know the beginning from the end. You would expect that God would be able to predict things before we, on the realm of time, have experienced them. Well, guess what you see? That's all over the Bible, right? Old Testament, New Testament. And specifically, God, because he wants us to know who the Son of God is, beyond a shadow of a doubt, okay, he specifically starts telling us prophecies years and years in advance, centuries in advance, we'll see in a second, uh, who the Messiah is, right? So if Jesus is going to be the Son of God, then it demonstrates that, again, that's what God should know, the future, before it ever happens, because he's above and beyond it. Number two, he has to not just know about it, he personally has to fulfill it. Because, again, God wants us to know the Messiah, without a shadow of a doubt. And this is what, you know, many times people act like, the scripture is so confusing, you can never know, and it's just like, but is this meaning, is it that? Well, first of all, you do need to be careful. You need to interpret the scripture correctly, as we saw in our discipleship 101 and 102 studies. Okay, I'm not saying, you know, be lazy. But at the same time, I always had an instructor who said, listen, God doesn't speak with forked tongue. God doesn't play cat and mouse with this. He wrote this so we could know it and understand it right that you may know that you have eternal life that you may know even with the old testament who the messiah is i want you to know god's not playing games with us he's not making it difficult on purpose man's the one that makes it difficult by not applying approaching the scripture correctly but that's what he says so hundreds of years before jesus was born people recognized that the hebrew writings genesis through malachi were the very words of god Serious students of the Hebrew books understood that God was preparing to send a special person to earth who would what? Save people. Now, this person, okay, was called the Messiah in the Hebrew language. Mashiach is where you get that term, okay, which translates to Christ or Christos in the Greek, okay? They mean the same thing, the Messiah or the anointed one, okay? In the ancient world, when a man was chosen to be king, he was anointed or oil was put on his head. And so, I, well, I guess i could go ahead and tell you guys now, but the interns don't realize when they graduate, we're coming up here, and Ron, the deacons, we're going to lay hands on them, and we're going to melt some butter-flavored Crisco. We're going all out. Not regular Crisco, butter-flavored Crisco. And we're going to dump it on these. How many actually would like to do that, personally? I think we're in the rites of passage. Now, get out there and do ministry. No, we won't do that. But back in the day, that was kind of a cool thing, apparently, right? I don't know if it didn't have shampoo or conditioner or whatever, but oil did have medicinal properties, and I digress, but let's move on. So anyway, uh, the people of Israel, okay, uh, anticipated and expected a Messiah, right? Why? Because God wanted them to know, so he wanted to know in an amazing, obviously, phenomenal way that they can know beyond a shadow of a doubt by predicting it way in advance. So that's the question. Uh, did Jesus fulfill these prophecies? Uh, yeah, and not just one, but he did over 300. And maybe we'll get to the odds here in just a second. So here's just a few examples, right? Number one, the Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham, Jacob, Judah, Jesse, and King David. Now put that one to the test. That's not just one person there, right? You know? We're getting ready to vote on a position. We say, all right, in order for you to accept this position, uh, Ken Nyland, okay, you have to be a relative of the Kinghams and the Waxers and the Roseberries 
And Bobby, I still can't say his last name <laughs> correctly. I'm, I can butcher it, but I'm not going to. Right? It's like, what? What are the odds of that? <laughs> he's, just, he's, he's the Abraham, Jacob, Judah, Jesse, King. Da Whoa! That's getting pretty specific. The Messiah would be the child of a virgin. Right? The Messiah would be born specifically in a small city of Bethlehem, not New York, right? Not Hamburg, okay? Uh, but Bethlehem, called out specifically, okay? The Messiah would be betrayed, listen, by a friend, not just betrayed, but be betrayed by a friend, and specifically would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. I mean, that's specific. Now, we've talked about this several times before, but when you take a look at these so-called psychics out there and their predictions, holy, totally horribly, uh, holy wrong. 25, uh, the 25 top psychics, 72 of the predictions were 92% totally wrong. 92, God gets nothing wrong. Of the remaining 8%, they are easily explained by chance and general knowledge of circumstances. Like, hey, you guys live in Vegas. It's the summer. You're going to go outside today, and it's going to be warm. <laughs> Turn to somebody and sound really spiritual as you say this. Duh. Okay, right? <laughs> what? Okay. Right? And they miss everything all the time. Right? It's crazy. Okay? They, don't even get, they don't even get the big stories. Right? So they miss all. But not God. God gets it right 100% of the time, and he's very specific. Not general terms. It's going to be hot today. No way. Not at all. Okay? The Messiah would suffer and die for all people, and God even told the people of Israel exactly how the Messiah would die. And this is what we see in Psalm 22. I don't have time to go through the whole psalm, but let me give you just a little tidbit of how amazing just this one, this is just one. Of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, just in this one psalm, okay, out of all these, hundreds. Psalm 22, uh, of course, starts off, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the identical words of Jesus uh, said on the cross, recorded in Matthew 27, at the ninth hour, Jesus said, My, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, the importance of this is, uh, this psalm was written 1,000 years. Not 100 years, not one year, not 10 years. 1,000 years before these events ever took place. Jesus knew he was fulfilling what David said a thousand years before, okay? Next, it describes in detail what the people around the cross are going to be saying to the Messiah as he's dying. And it says, all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. So, what do we see in the gospel of Matthew? Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and the elders said, he saved others. He, he himself, he can't save. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusted in God. Can you imagine a psalmist writing a thousand years before it happened? Not just having to guess the exact words to the T, what Jesus said on the cross, but he actually described what people are going to be saying to Jesus as he's hanging on the cross. Boggles your mind, right? It, it, it just, it's just, it's ekpleso. Whoa, this is amazing, right? Psalm 22, 12 through 13. Uh, this is kind of cool. Uh, an Orthodox rabbinical translation says, many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. Now, this is cool. I had to add this, Tom. Bashan is a place in Israel where they have really good pasture lamb. And so guess what they raise in this really good pasture lamb? Cows, baby. Quote, I'm not making this up, beefy cows. Right? Okay? Just like the beefy Roman soldiers who were coming after Jesus 
on the cross. What's more important, that same area there, it says they encircled me. Now, the Hebrew translation uh, is reported that it, instead of just encircle me, so we think, oh, it's the guys that are going around him. Not necessarily. The word that's used there is actually, it's, you can see where they get encircle because it is a circle, but it literally is crowned. Is what he's talking about there. So he's talking about the crown of thorns that they stuck on his head and started smacking him, mocking him. Isn't that why? This is a thousand years before it ever happens. Then it also gets specific about what's going to happen during the crucifixion. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and I'm as dry as an old piece of pottery. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Now, one of the things about crucifixion is the body literally dries out. Because with crucifixion, the fluids start to collect down into the legs and into your extremities, and you literally, your mouth and tongue start to clean to the roof. Now, what's wild is this is long before crucifixion was ever invented and perfected by the Romans. So this guy's calling out exactly not only what he's saying, but what people are saying, but exactly the physical effects of how this Messiah is going to die for all the people was something that hadn't even been invented yet as a means of death. Isn't that wild? Okay. And then that's what he says. He says, it goes even further to describe how it happened. And of course, how do you get around this one? They pierced my hands and my feet. And of course, we know that because Thomas, what do he say? Unless I see his hands and the nails in his hands and put my finger into uh, his sides, okay, uh, I will not believe. Okay, 1,000 years before it ever happened. That's what this guy says. Can you imagine the detail of this prophecy a thousand years before the event, saying not only that, uh, oh, by the way, his uh, clothing was going to be divided. Remember that part? Okay. Now, l l listen to this. The soldiers, they took his garments and made four parts. They divided to each soldier a part and also the tunic. The tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. Doesn't sound like much to you and I, but very valuable piece, right? You don't want to mess this thing up. They didn't want to cut it up. So they decided, quote, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be. So he says, can you imagine the detail of that prophecy a thousand years before the event, saying not only it's going to be divided, but there's going to be one piece of clothing that they're not going to divide, and they're going to specifically cast lots for that. So they even knew what kind of clothes and what people are going to do with these clothes. Rhymes with this Greek word. It's called ekphleso. <laughs> Blew me out of my mind. I can't believe this is amazing. And this is what Jesus fulfilled. Oh, that's just one area, Psalm 22, out of hundreds. How many guys are saying that God loves us so much that he wants to make absolutely sure that nobody on the planet, anybody who has a copy of the scripture, even if you just had a copy of the Old Testament, you're going to know who the Messiah is if you have an open heart, right? Absolutely, and that's what we see with Jesus. Okay, let's continue on. The people of Israel knew that the Messiah had to fulfill. How many of these prophecies? All. Why is that important? God's back to the character. He is holy. He doesn't lie, right? And so God's telling the truth, and he's ripping out all these prophecies. He didn't say, well, as long as he gets 93%, 0.7% of 93%, then he's, he's probably the guy. No, it's 100%. Well, so they knew that. It's obvious, and we should know that. He fulfilled all prophecies. Otherwise, he couldn't be the Messiah that God promised. These prophecies, in effect, formed a fingerprint that only the true Messiah could match. This gave Israel a way to rule out the imposters and validate the credentials of the true Messiah. And again, that's what we see even in the Gospels in the New Testament. When Jesus appeared on the scene, he was not historically the first guy to come, even in that day, claiming he was Messiah. 
right? So even before he showed up, there was some skepticism built to, oh yeah, another one of these guys. So how does Jesus, and if you read especially Matthew, what is he very careful and meticulous to point out? As it said in the words of Isaiah, as it said in the words of, right? He's taking people back. No, this guy's fulfilling the messianic prophecies. This is the guy. Those guys are fakes. Yeah, I get you. Not this guy. Okay. Top of the next page. Of all the prophecies and statements about the Messiah in the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. Is your blank there. Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. We learn from reading the New Testament that Jesus was a descendant of Abraham, Jacob, Judah, Jesse, King David. His mother was a virgin when he was born, and he was born in Bethlehem. He was betrayed by his friend for 30 pieces of silver, specifically. Judas Iscariot fulfilled that. He suffered and died exactly the way the Old Testament described. We saw there in Psalm 22. In fact, when the prophecies were given again about the Messiah being pierced, as he says there, stoning was the common method of execution. Crucifixion, crucifixion was not used as a form of execution until much later in history. Isaiah 53 says that the Messiah would be numbered with the transgressors, specifically. Okay, And what do we see with Jesus? He wasn't just crucified. He was crucified between two thieves, the transgressors. Okay, Every single thing is recorded, written, proved, demonstrated for us so we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt Jesus is the Son of God. He specifically also, he's the Messiah. And Psalm 22 indicates the garments will be divided. Uh, the hardened, burly soldiers of Rome at the cross centuries later did not get their Bibles out and say, because again, I mean, think about this. How do you get around this? Did they say, oh, wait a second, guys. Hold on. Time for a Bible study. All right. Let's get up here. I think I read this one time when I was growing up. Uh, there's just Psalm, 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 and Earl pipes up. Hey, Psalm 22. That's right, Earl. Thanks for being here at this Bible study today as we get ready to crucify this guy that we don't even know. Right? And, but here's what we got to do. This is what was written about us in history. right? And so we have to make sure that from this point forward, we're going to follow all these steps with this guy's clothes, what we're going to say to him, putting this crown of thorns on his head, mocking him and all that stuff, and this clothes, and then, then you take these, this piece, right? but this piece, then we're going to you know, cast lots for it. And they didn't do that. That's ridiculous to say something like that. These guys are fulfilling Bible prophecy, specifically about the Messiah. They don't even know it. Which, think about that deep thought for tonight. Isn't that awesome? People are doing God's will and they don't even know it. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that comforting? I always have a phrase, I, I'm not into fatalism, that's the extreme view of God's providence because I do believe that man still has responsibility. We're responsible for our choices we make and I do believe they're real choices. But at the same time, God is not just sovereign, he's providential. He knows everything. Right? He provides for everything. He provides for even the birds of the air. How many guys realize there's probably quite a few birds in the United States? And for our Canadian imports, probably in Canada too. Would you guys confirm? Yes. Uh, how about the whole Western Hemisphere? How many birds can you think? Right? How about over there in Europe? Right? How about the whole planet? How many, how many birds do you think there are right now on the whole planet? Oh, how many birds do you think there are right now on the whole planet? It's been uh, for the last 10 years. You know, birds don't have a long shelf life, apparently, right? But they keep reproducing those crazy kids, right? How about the birds on the whole planet for the last 100 years? How about every bird that's ever been in existence for the last 6,000 years from all creation? God has taken care of them. That's what the scripture teaches. That's providence. That's just a bird. 
Now stop, start ripping off every single animal that's ever existed in the... Oh, by the way, now move on to people. Isn't, isn't your, turn to somebody and say, Stop it, Pastor Billy, you're ekplesoing me. I'm being driven out of my mind. That's God's providence. Isn't that amazing? And so when we go through life, I said all that to get to this, hopefully. When things seem to go awry in our walks here on earth, did you know that everything is going exactly according to plan, exactly how it's supposed to be? It's just God's plan, not ours. It's just God's time, not ours. But can I tell you something? It's a good plan. Because he does all things together for good for those who love him. And then, boy, can you go to sleep. Amen? Right? And so that's what we see here. This is what's going on. Amazing. These guys are fulfilling prophecy. They don't even know it. Okay? Okay? And, 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 and he says this. They, they gambled for his garments. It, it, it is doubted that they uh, knew or cared about the prophecy at all, but how significant that men, even in unbelief, perfectly fulfilled the word of God. And impresses me, too, that Psalm 69.21 dares to say that the centurion, in advance, that he would be offered gall and uh, vinegar to drink. And he was. Only God can know that centuries in advance. There are thousands of things he could have been offered. Right? Could have been just water. Could have been wine, could have been uh, grape juice, could have been 7-Up, I don't know, okay? Obviously, there wasn't 7-Up back then. But you know, it could have been a bunch of different stuff, right? But it was specifically that is what he's talking about there. He says there's thousands of things he's been offered, okay? He could have been offered nothing, but it was something and specifically nailed it to a T again. The prediction that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb is spectacular. That simply did not happen to one who died as a criminal. That's how Jesus was treated. He was crucified between two criminals. Right? And, and yet, look at Matthew 27, this impossible fulfillment as Joseph of Arimathea risked his riches, his reputation, and his life to claim the body of Jesus to bury him in his own unused tomb. Did he know he was fulfilling prophecy? Probably not. Probably did that as an act of love. But once again, marching towards God's providential plan. A mathematician who wrote the book called Science Speaks determined the mathematical probability that any one man that could fulfill just eight of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, the number came to one chance in 10 billion. How many guys realize that that's more than the whole planet? In other words, that ain't going to happen. If it happened, it would be not natural. It would be supernatural, Right? And that's what we see there. This is amazing when you realize that Jesus fulfilled 30 Old Testament, it's your blank there, 30 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah written from 500 to 1,000 years before his birth during the final 24 hours of his life. So right there at the very end, ripping them off. Every single one of them. And it wasn't just 30. Listen, uh, did you know that in his life, Christ fulfilled 332? Is your blank there. 30 in just the last 24 hours. But his short time here on earth, 332 distinct prophecies in the Old Testament. And the mathematical uh, possibilities of this has been uh, fulfilled in one man, and that is calculated, apparently for those hooked on calculators, is 800, you got to look at this thing, 840, just turn to somebody and say, ekpleso. Because <laughs> what? 97 zeros. Impossible. Amazing. I am driven out of my mind. This is amazing. God made for sure that we would know who the Messiah was. Next page. The odds alone say it would be impossible, is your blank there, impossible for anyone to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. Yet Jesus, and only Jesus throughout all of history, managed to do it. Louis Lapides, he grew up in a conservative Jewish home, but 
He became a Christian and later a minister after studying the prophecies. Why? Because blew him out of his mind. You've got to be kidding me. If I'm honest, and see, that's the problem. People aren't honest. They run from the truth, don't they? But if you're honest, how could you deny? God made it so abundantly clear. He got saved. Jesus Christ, the only figure whose birth, life, and death were predicted and described hundreds of years before it's born. That's what you would expect if Jesus was the Son of God. Now, the sixth one, the final one we're going to take a look at, if God became a human, we would expect that this person would satisfy the spiritual hunger in people. He would satisfy the spiritual hunger in people. Why? What's the scripture say? What did Jesus even quote? Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the newspaper. Because that's where it's all at. That's what you've got to just be informed. You've got to be informed the word of God. Why? Because back to the other, other point. This is the word of God, right? If you want answers to all the questions of life, you want to know the deep-seated things of life, it's got to come from God. Well, that's what the Bible is, right? It's what we see here, okay? And so if this is from God, God is the author of life, and God says that the way for you to be satisfied in life is through me and through my word, then that's what you'd expect from Jesus. Not just speaking God's word, but it's really God's word because it shows because when you come to Jesus and when you receive his word, you're satisfied. You know, just a little bit ago, we talked about the providence of God. Do you guys realize where that's found? Right here. Anybody blessed just taking three minutes, I wasn't recording it, a discussion on the providence of God? Right? Are you still focused on, I don't know how many birds there are in the world. You're missing the point. <laughs> you get that from the word of God, and word of God satisfies. The words of Jesus satisfy. When you read the words, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <sighs> Isn't that satisfying? So if Jesus is the Son of God, and this really is the Word of God, then we would expect that when we come to him, he satisfies. Well, that's what we see in the Scripture. He claimed that he and he alone could satisfy our spiritual hunger and thirst. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you what? Rest. Boy, doesn't the world try to do something else, right? You need to take this trip. You need to do this. If you only had enough money, if you had this thing. Remember we saw that in our peace study. And the commercial was all geared towards that. You get, that's when you're going to have rest. That's when you No. It's only in Jesus, right? Take my yoke on you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will, not maybe, you will find rest for your souls. Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. How many guys, isn't this awesome, especially here in the desert? How many guys, when you got saved? You have never took a drink of water. You, liquid has never touched your lips. Now, unless you got saved in the last hour, that's not humanly possible. Obviously, common sense interpretation of this text talks about it's not a natural thirst, a physical thirst. It's a spiritual thirst. Anybody ever spiritually thirsty at one point? Yeah, I'll get to that hopefully in a second. Uh, indeed, the water I give him will uh, become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. So not just thirst with spiritual thirst, but also uh, hunger. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. How many guys love it? Not only you don't have to buy a bottle of water and watch those people. Ha, 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 you poor people. I don't have to spend money on that. In fact, I don't have to go in the grocery stores because I never hunger. You save a lot of cash, believe you me, right? Uh, but that's not what he's talking about. Once again, spiritual, right? So hungry, and he believes in me will never be thirsty. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, 
Streams of living water will flow from within him. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is a cool Greek word. It is parasos. Okay, it's like what Bobby's wearing un, uh, underneath his shoes. That's parasocks. Okay, for those of you wondering, in the Bobby Greek, uh, apparently. Hey, you're not in the front row, but I can still see you back there. All right, parasos, listen to this, man. Exceedingly, abundantly, much more than needed, super abundant, over and above. Doesn't that blow you away? Isn't that another ekplesso on you, all over you? You guys have got ekplesso all over you tonight. Go home and take a shower. This is awesome. This is what Jesus came to give, not just life. Right? See, but that's what religion does. Well, if you follow these rules and you stand up, sit down, do this, month and mm, do this thing with the little bead thing. If you do this and go through and you shave your head, you do all this, mm, you wear these clothes. You know, that's man's rule. Does that satisfy? No. Tried that myself. Doesn't work. But when you come to Jesus, he gives you life. In fact, he gives you parasols. He gives you super life. He gives you abundant life. He, anybody like me? You get that? I, dude, I, I search. I, you guys know my testimony. Okay, I search high and low. I tried self-help, secular psychology. Didn't work. I mean, I really tried it. I did their techniques. I didn't satisfy the whole my heart. I, I, I tried uh, the Hinduism. I was New Age. What's that? That's a cornucopia of everything. You take a little bit of this. It's like a cafeteria. I tried Hinduism. That didn't work. Shamanism. That didn't work. Had a roommate, unfortunately, turn me on to the Satanic Bible. That didn't work. Uh, try, uh, but I, I got to know what's life all about. I want these deep questions in life. And there's nothing's working. And, going, and such a frustrating existence. Just bouncing from this thing, it doesn't work. And about, no, maybe it's this one. And, and you never know. And you go to bed at night just wondering. And you wake up and start all over again. But that moment, I called upon the name of Jesus Christ. Bang! Instantly, I could feel the sins literally lift up off of me. And I began to cry and laugh because it was such a relief, not just to know that I have a relationship with God, that he's real. And I can't even describe this, but this is phenomenal. But I don't have to look anymore. I don't have to wonder, is this true? Is this one going to pan out this time? Whoa. Something about Jesus. He satisfies and that's what we see is characteristic. Millions of people all over the world agree that only Jesus Christ can satisfy a person's spiritual hunger and that when you follow Jesus and his teachings, life becomes peaceful, joyful, hopeful, and meaningful. Now, that's the issue there. When you follow his teachings, as Christians, sometimes we start off with a bang. What's the enemy get us to do? Take a detour. And you wonder where the joy and the peace and the satisfaction goes. Right? We just got to get back on track. Because it's there for the taking. That's what our studies have been on Sunday mornings all about. Okay? Do you guys remember the darkness before you got saved? Anybody? Don't ever forget that. I hope every day when you wake up, you say, thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. I hope you've been counting the years. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul 22 years ago. Do you guys remember the depression? Remember how empty life used to be? Remember how vain it was? Just, are you kidding me? Is this all there is? The emptiness of life? The slavery to sin or other things? The hopelessness? The insecurity? Remember the hole in your heart? Anybody glad that you're satisfied? Turn to somebody and say, I got my pair of socks on. Huh? That's right, you got a pair of socks on. And I hope you got a pair of socks on. 
for various reasons. All right, uh, let me real quick, and I think this is a little bit behind what Paul's saying. Real quick, as we get ready to close, Philippians chapter three. Turn there real quick. It's one of my favorite passages when you when you blow into the Greek. It's like wow, wow. This is. I mean, this was pretty convicting just reading it uh, face value in the English, but the Greek just really cool. Uh, but Philippians chapter three, and. Uh, we're going to read just uh, uh, verse 8 there. And this is what t- Paul talks about. He's excited. In fact, he talks about, you know, Jesus satisfies, only Jesus satisfies. And that's what he says. Nothing in this world can satisfy, only Jesus. In fact, you got to get that locked into your brain, Christian. Don't fall for the temptation that something else in this world or the things of this world can somehow satisfy because it's not. In fact, all that other stuff in the world compared to knowing Jesus Christ, watch what he says. Scubalon is coming up, Bobby. Here's what he says. Okay, but whatever he says there, uh, to my prophet, I now consider loss. Okay, loss there is the Greek word dermia. Okay, and it literally means not just loss, it means damaging. So pay attention to that. I consider not just loss, I consider damaging. Okay, uh, I mean verse 7 there, now 8. For, uh, and I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a what? Dermia, a damaging Okay, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them, everything else on this whole planet, it's not just damaging, but I consider them, what's the word there? Rubbish, some will say dung, whatever, in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. We talked before, that is the Greek word skubalon, and it literally means this. Animal excrement isn't that the fun part of owning pets it's awesome you feed them and you go wow look at these dandies it's, i gotta save this stuff i gotta start a collection i gotta invite people over and look at my awesome scuba lawn look at these things just every day they produce more it's like little golden nuggets this is awesome i could sell them at the market i could get my... I, i'm stopping john but i have to do this for the reason hopefully it will make sense in a second but can you imagine somebody living like that that they actually looked upon animal excrement as something exciting, something to show the friends, something to think that, hey, hey, this is, oh, my life is great. Woo, I got these scubalon producing four-legged creatures. Give me some more, because I want more scubalon. In fact, let me spend all my time gathering up this stuff. I don't have time for God. I don't have time for Jesus. I don't have time for church services. Hey, skip that Wednesday night Bible study stuff. I'm out here with that scubalon. Now, if I really did believe that, what's the first order of business at our business meeting here in a second? New pastor. (laughs) Do you get the analogy Paul's using here? When we, Christian, don't seek Jesus, it's dermia. It's damaging. Not only to you, but what does that do to God's heart after all he's done for us? You're literally saying, no, I don't have time for Jesus. I don't have time for God. I don't have time for the Bible. He really doesn't satisfy. The things of this world, the scubalon, is where it's at. No wonder he said dermion. That'll damage it. It's not that Jesus doesn't satisfy, even as a Christian. Somewhere along the line, we got tricked in going out in the backyard and doing that. But we just got to put that stuff down, take a shower or two, spiritually, and get back on track. Amen? Right? Jesus 
satisfies. Let's finish up on the next page there. When I lived in Florida several years ago, he said, I had the opportunity to study the Bible with a man in Egypt named Salah. Okay, Salah was a Muslim. And one day we got in this discussion about Jesus, and I asked him, what does the Quran say about Jesus? And he told me that the Quran says that Jesus was a prophet who was born of a virgin named Mary, and that Jesus could perform miracles and was without sin. So I asked him, well, do you really believe that an ordinary man could be without sin? Well, he immediately changed the subject and said, I don't want to talk about Jesus anymore. Next time we met together, Salah said to me, do you, you know why I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God? See, notice he can't be just man. There's something different about Jesus. And that's what we've been seeing the last two weeks. He's the Son of God. He said, but do you know why I can't believe that Jesus was the Son of God? He says, because of this. And he spread his arms apart like Jesus on the cross and said, this is weakness. God is God and he can't be weak. And so he said this, oh, well, do you love your children? And Salah said, well, of course I love my children. So we asked him, at what lengths would you go to show your love for them? And it seemed that the, momentarily he forgot the context of our conversation because he then passionately told me, he says, Russ, I would die for my children. And he says, you see, that's not weakness. In fact, it's the ultimate strength and the act of ultimate love. So Salah angrily changed the subject, said goodbye, walked out of the room, and I never saw him again. That's sad, isn't it? But here's what the scripture says. For the message of the cross, is your blank there, message of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The power of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. This is why we need to get this message out to our world. Jesus is not, and the scripture doesn't leave us with that option, nor does Jesus. He's not just a good moral teacher. He is God. He is the Son of God, right? And because of that, he is the Messiah. And because of that, he lived the sinless, holy life just like God in our place. And because of that, he is God, and he has the power of God to not just forgive us, but make us into a new creation just like that. Just like he flung the earth down. Anybody, he can go, pow, and make you into a new person. That's why we need to let people know that Jesus is the Son of God. Notice again, it's one of those Christianese phrases we see all the time. Yeah, Jesus, Son of God. I'll take a test. I'll check yeah on that one all day long. But what do you mean by that? I don't know. But hopefully after two weeks now, you get a better idea of why that's an important doctrine in the Scripture and why it's important that we hold to that and let people know. Because as the Son of God, he has the power to do what only God can do. And that's rescue us from hell and give us a brand new life as we're headed to a place called heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. 
And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. 
The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.